Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. everybody, welcome back to the Grey Mulk and Lane podcast where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics in continuity order. Uh, it is the end of July, I am so excited to be reviewing a book that, despite my huge vast X-Men nerdiness, I never learned of this book until I was doing this podcast. It's one of the rare X-Men books that slipped through my, uh, my knowledge. Uh, we're going to be reviewing X-Men Season 1 today from... Uh, X, uh, from 2012, uh, the editor from that book is also a returning guest, Mr. Jordan White, who is going to be joining us today, uh, as well as my friends Chris Hassan and Arturo Rojas. Let me have you each introduce yourselves. Uh, let us know your name, your gender pronouns, uh, where we might know you from. And our intro question today is, uh, can you think of any odd X-Men merchandise? Uh, let's begin with Jordan, Arturo, and then Chris. Uh, my name is Jordan D. White. I'm a senior editor at Marvel. He, him. I, uh, you, you probably know me from YouTube. That's a joke. Um, although uh, I did used to do a lot of YouTube uh, ukulele covers, and I have been recognized in public for them far more than I have been recognized for being a comic book editor because you don't see what a comic book editor looks like most of the time. Um, so that's fun. Um, weirdest uh, X Men. Well, my, I mean, listen, my my favorite weird X Men. Uh, merchandise isn't quite merchandise in that it is my favorite x-men stuff that i own is <clears throat> is uh stuff that we we made uh uh as as gifts for for each other slash uh, uh stuff so i don't have most of them are not in reach of me but um we bought these uh pint glasses that said uh, in Krakoan, very, this was early in the Krakoan years as a gift to everybody involved in the books. These Krakoan, uh, these pad classes that said in Krakoan, make more mutants. And on the back had the Muller X. They're beautiful. Um, this is the one I, I had made for for Ten of Swords, this, um, this little Ten of Swords notebook that I gave to all the writers and editors. It says, uh, raise your sword, or no, raise your, raise your pens, of course. In Krakoan, uh, even. In Krakoan. And then um, more recently, Jonathan, as a parting uh, gift to the office, got us all uh, tiki mugs. And I have over there a Brian Braddock, Captain Britain tiki mug, uh, custom, like custom tiki mugs. There's, there's some of them are pretty amazing. That's fantastic. You've got like all this specialty stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that makes me really happy, though. It makes me really happy. It's really fun stuff. That's amazing. Uh, over to Arturo. Hi, folks. Uh, I'm Arturo. I am thrilled to be here. Uh, he, him pronouns. And you probably know me from Twitter or Instagram, not really YouTube, uh, at Mr. Toy Box, where I talk about comics and I am lucky enough to jump on podcasts like this. And um, I'm thrilled to be here. And uh, also sometimes X is for show, which is kind of my my home pod. Um, and as far as my favorite X-Men, okay, so there's just so many great options. So rather than going through all that, I just had to go to like the very first thing my brain went to 
and that's the Wolverine corn cob stickers, <laughs> right? Like I, I don't know what you call them, the corn cob pinchers. Yeah, yeah. Um, just you know, simple, brilliant, classic, useful, uh, and uh, and just absurd. So that 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 kind of that that's a uh, that's a goal to get that one. To get to buy that what does it show just his, his glove or like what is it what is it you it's see basically like his three claws in yeah, each yeah. side it's like his it's it's his fists actually. so you do see the fit okay so you see the it's two fists, fists. And gotcha. has the, that's great like his severed hands <laughs> perfect <laughs> straight from the pages of x-force amazing and then uh chris yeah, uh, Chris Hassan. Uh, I write and edit X-Men, oh, uh, pronouns he, him. I write and edit uh, X-Men Monday at AAPT, uh, which is a collaboration with Jordan here. Um, so maybe you are all mad at me and Jordan every now and then every Monday <laughs> for, for the questions that we we, we field. Um, my favorite uh, piece of X-Men merchandise, it's the, so it's a Pizza Hut pizza, but it's not the Pizza Hut comics let me i'll chat you guys a link to this i don't know if you've seen this but it looks disgusting it is like a four oh four-way <laughs> pizza and it's like four different sections with like they're divided by like cheese like some kind of cheese uh some cheese goo but there's shrimp on there there's like chicken all kinds of flavors so it looks terrible and i'm just fascinated that this is something that happened with the X-Men Apocalypse cast very seriously trying to get you to eat this. So Listeners, you cannot you cannot see our faces, but we're all like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I already discussed everybody. But yeah. Uh lastly, well, Chris, wait, oh, wait, sorry, sorry, if I if I may. Uh, Chris, just for all the X-Men Monday fans, I just wanted to mention that uh as we record this on Thursday, I'm going to see Weezer Live. So Oh yes. Because yes. <laughs> <laughs> they love when we talk about Weezer, so I figured oh, no, I'd throw it in. A secret weekly uh, Weezer column, too. So. <laughs> my my husband and I live in Salt Lake City, and down the road from us next to the mall, there was recently a billboard bought out by a civilian who had a message to Weezer, and then they bought the billboard down the road and wrote the yep. message back. And it was up for like eight months. There was this That's Weezer amazing. billboard. It was for so long. <laughs> it was very weird. That's like a block from my house. Uh, okay, lastly, I'm Chad Anderson. I use he, him pronouns. Now, when I, I, I've told this story on the show, I'll be quick. When I was 15, things were pretty shitty at home. And I went to a local comic book shop and I said, hey, things are pretty bad at home and I need comics to survive. And they ended up giving me a job all through high school where they paid me an hourly wage in comic books. So my room became like dominated by everything X-Men from the mid nineties. I had Onslaught stickers all over the wall. It was like Onslaught was here. And I had all the weird action figures and some of those old action figures like a uh, forearm or uh, like Comcast and kill spree and quark, like just some of those real old obscure ones. The weirdest thing though, I also had a job at Hardee's and I remember collecting the X-Men time gliders and they had these little plastic figurines of like the X-Men fighting the brotherhood on these like little plastic mounds. And they were really awful toys, <laughs> but I had those for a long time from Hardee's as well. Uh, as well as like books full of trading cards. Like I had so much merch. Now I have children, so I don't own anything. Everything's digital. It's so much easier to not have to move 10,000 comic books from every from every place to place. But yeah, there's a lot of X-Men merch out there. Maybe you have them on your underpants or on a Frisbee or on your breakfast cereal or a can of Coke. Who knows? 
I have never heard of time gliders before. I just X-Men Googled it. time gliders. They fight Empyrean. Uh, <laughs> Jonathan Chambers, who takes them back through time, and Blob and Crimson Commando were there, and Fantasia, and uh, it's a real weird steer. It's 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 kind of not worth reading. <laughs> <laughs> X-Men Time Gliders. Yeah, it's a it's a four-issue series that was a promotional campaign with Hardee's, if I'm remembering right. Yeah, that's what it says on on the uh, on the marvel.fandom.com. Yep, yep. We've uh when we did the blob trial, we we reviewed that on my show. It's fine. <laughs> you had me at Fantasia, I'll be honest. I do I do love or Fantasia depending on, you know, how you uh, want to so- pronounce it. We're going to be spending the latter half of the show on X-Men Season 1, but I've been excited about this one for a while. It's always such an honor to have uh, Jordan especially on the show, but I'm so happy to see each of you. Uh, Jordan, let me just get the pulse on what's happening in the X-Men world. It is summer 2023. Fall of X is getting ready to take place. A whole new line of books has been announced with so many incredible creators attached, uh, many of whom I've met through the show. And I I know Chris has met a lot of these books as well. It's it's so fun knowing people and seeing them get work. What's happening in the X-Men office these days? All right. So if this is coming out on July 31st, uh, I can say with confidence that most X-Fans are have been really unhappy for like five days. <laughs> the Hellfire Gala is coming out. <laughs> the Hellfire Gala came out on the 26th. Uh, and again, we're recording this ahead of time, so I'm not going to say too much. But what I will say is I know that people are going to be pretty upset. Because some very bad things have occurred, some very bad things, and um, yeah, it, it, the Hellfire Gala this year is a, a really intense issue. Uh, ooh, ooh boy, a really really intense issue. Um, and actually, uh, two days from now, if you're listening to this day, it comes out. Uh, X Men Twenty Five comes out, and that is also an intense issue, also an oversized issue. Uh, I think forty pages for that one, as opposed to the seventy one pages of the of the gala um x-men 25 uh also it's the first um full issue of like you know fall of x because i kind of feel like by the end of the gala we're in fall of x um but the first full issue of fall of x is x-men 25 when it comes out and yeah you you get you get to jump right into the 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 new status quo and uh how unpleasant it can be and the last scene or the the last big scene of issue 25 is an incredibly intense um scene that i think is gonna sorry i know that your your guts are all reeling from the punch that we just gave you last week but we're gonna punch you again so be careful like tense up your muscles because it's about to happen again I was about to say something like, you know, things have been happy for the mutants for so long. But then <laughs> I'm remembering like Araco got decimated and Magneto died. And I mean, things like things haven't exactly been easy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is a, that's a, that's a, like a very big thing, right? Uh, is that, uh, the happiness of characters is not necessarily cohesive or not cohesive, um, conducive sorry, to great storytelling a lot of the time. Uh, Happily Ever After is where the story ends, not where it continues from most of the time. And if it does continue from there, it usually has to go through some unhappiness in that after so that it can go back to Happy Ever After again. So um, yes, Krakoa has been... (sighs) It's hard to say Krakoa has been happy because it has. There's been a lot of good. There's been a lot of bad happening under the surface. Um. For those of you who have read uh, Immortal X-Men, 
the the entire run of Immortal X Men. Um, Immortal X Men has really been Kieran um, kind of peeling back the facade of this is great and going, is it? Um, not which is not, again, I don't think that it's an easy question to answer. Is Krakoa a good thing or a bad thing? I think so much good has come of it and so much bad has come of it and so much bad happens as a result of it and so much good happens as a result of it. I, it, I always say it's the same way you would ask of any nation. Is America good? Great question. You could do many podcasts answering that question. There's there's a lot of good that's come of it. There's a lot of bad that's come of it. it, it same is true for Krakoa. Um, but but that said, uh, Immortal X-Men has really peeled back and shown how the leadership has um, contributed to the problems and uh, uh, so so it's hard to say Krakoa has been all good. What I will say is that uh, yeah, well, I you know what I, I'm going to stop there because uh, there's a, there's there's a lot to to find out in Fall of X. There's a lot to to try to see what will happen from here. It's been fascinating to see different writers explore the not good parts, uh, mm-hmm. the, the pit and the exploration of the exiles uh, with uh, Sabretooth under Victor Lavelle. I just finished reading Jerry Duggan's run and the slow seating of the Mister Sinister for. Uh, and everything that was happening with Sinister and the compromises with this literal devil who's at the table uh, while other people are being disenfranchised. It's It's been a brilliant exploration. There's a lot of really cool things happening. Uh, Sy Spurrier's work with uh, Legion and Xavier recently and Gillen on Immortal. There's, there's some really incredible things happening in all of these different corners. I'm so excited to see what happens next. Well, I mean, should I let you in on a secret? I guess so. I mean, if I have, the, yes. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 not so much a secret of like things to come. It's a secret of like the past, of behind the behind the the curtain, sort of. Which is to say, and I might have, who knows, Chris? You you would know better than anyone because I talk to you about these things most of all. So if I, for all I know, I've told you this exact thing and you've put it in the in the column. I've just forgotten. But um, at the beginning of all of this, uh, right after House of X, you know, Jonathan set up. Krakoa and what Krakoa was. And, you know, we kicked it off with the, with the few books to follow. And, um, it was a conscious choice to say, we're going to focus on the good. In fact, so much so that almost every pitch we got from another writer who wasn't already working on a book was, was a variation on them coming in and going, well, all this is well and good, but did you know there are actually some negative aspects to Krakoa? And we would go, no, we're not doing that. Like, that's not what we're doing. Thank you. We do know. We do know. <laughs> um, because, yeah, we were going, no, this is, again, it's storytelling. We're, we are going to set up what's good about it. And we are well aware there is bad stuff baked in from the beginning. And we'll get there. But for now, we're starting on the good side. Let's take a moment to talk about hype. This is where we're beginning. Oh, my. Uh, How does one create hype in storytelling? Uh, Chris, I'd love for you to take this first, actually, if you will. You have, uh, outside of your day job, uh, been putting out X-Men Mondays for quite some time and creating a lot of hype as you're interviewing different creators from all different corners of these different types of publications. And it's it's amazing over on AIPT, the work that you're doing. How uh, what, What are your thoughts on hype? Uh, well, I love to hype things. <laughs> I love hyping the column. And I like, I think part of it is, it's, well, if I can reveal my secrets, like the X fans are, are 
always excited for you. You know what they're excited about? Because like in the most recent uh, call for questions for Jordan, there were like two billion questions about Betsy and then two billion questions about Rogue's costume. And you kind of get a sense of like, okay, they're organized, <laughs> mobilized, because <laughs> they're all asking in a row as I click through the form. It's like, Rogue going to get a new costume? I like Rogue's costume, but is Rogue going to get a new costume? So you kind of get a sense of what they're really passionate about. I think when I started X-Men Monday, it was the Emma Scott gene. That was what they were crazy about. And I I really started getting into Twitter when X-Men Monday started, because I had a reason to, to be on there. And I think that I made the mistake of getting too excited about like hyping things and having fun with fans, thinking like, oh, we're all just having fun here. But I quickly learned that was not the case, because <laughs> the one I always remember was like... Uh, we did a Jean edition and we did an Emma edition of Exo Monday early on. And I remember tweeting like, who do you think, like which edition will get the most views? And I had a poll on Twitter and one of the Emma fans like right away replied and tagged Jordan. This is back when Jordan was still on Twitter. And they're like, Jordan, this is extremely unprofessional for him to be doing this. And I, I, it was so early on. I was like, well, that's it. Like this is, <laughs> I'm going to lose this gig now. Cause I have, Jordan's going to get the call from up high. <laughs> it's like you're you're upsetting the fans, but uh, the jarbs, the jarbs are coming for you. <laughs> but yeah, now you see, but but it's like just trying to have fun with it. And I like to, I do a lot of teasers with pictures and stuff. I remember, like again, like you get a sense of they love those Academy X kids. So I remember doing an edition with Jordan where I I asked Jordan, I, I always asked Jordan about Hellion because they're obsessed with Hellion. <laughs> is they is it they or is it a person who's very vocal about <laughs> it? But I, I remember early on, I did a, I did like a, a collage, which was like one of these characters will be in tomorrow's X Men Monday, and it was like you know Dust and Surge and all these fan favorites, and the fans were in a frenzy about it, and they were like no pun intended frenzy, but they were in a frenzy about it, and they are on the I remember one of the message boards, they were like new book announcement, who could be writing this book? What team is this? And I was like, oh boy, like. Now you see how like I've gone too far because I thought I was just having fun. And then sure enough, the next day they're like, why would they lead us on like that? Like there is no team <laughs> book announcement. And it literally was like me asking Jordan or Jordan saying like, well, one of those characters will be appearing soon. And uh, so I don't know if I've answered your question, but I have gotten a lot of venting off my chest about experience. <laughs> it sound, it <laughs> sounds like the answer was the way that you get hype going is by poking at the fans about the thing that they like <laughs> that's what there's that's a, what your answer was it seems like there's a reason i open my show with queer friends and allies because even though this is not a gay podcast i want everyone listening to know right away the type of safety we're trying to create and there are a lot of people who are not on the same page uh jordan you mentioned uh creating controversy for characters uh creating challenges i remember uh reading uh brian michael bendis's daredevil years ago one of my favorite books ever and every writer that took over after him they would leave daredevil in like a worse place and they had to like try to pick up the pieces and it was really incredible to see people like just put through those paces i love that i we're mean seeing, oh uh, that's why yeah go, go ahead well, i was just gonna say that's why i love daredevil is because i well I'm, I'm very interested in flawed characters and um daredevil is extremely flawed like i always like to say there's not a ton of marvel heroes who have driven a girlfriend to suicide but matt murdoch is on that list uh <laughs> like he's a messed up dude and it, yeah his life is his yeah he's inherently like broken the stuff he wants to do is like inherently at odds with the stuff that 
that will make his life good and happy. If you guys are unfamiliar with Daredevil's girlfriend that committed suicide, look up Heather Glenn. I wrote the encyclopedia on her. Oh, there (laughs) you go. I'm a huge Daredevil head as well, although I don't talk about him on my show much. Uh, When we're looking at hype for the X-Men, we're looking at drama. We're looking at the seeding of conflict. And most everyone's favorite X-Men storylines come out of major drama, right? Uh, Some of the least favorite as well. We've got M-Day and we've got Genosha. Uh, but we've got things like Days of the Future Past and Fall of the Mutants, et cetera, et cetera. We, we need the drama for our characters to be able to be heroes. And that's a huge part. Uh, Jordan, what are your thoughts on creating hype? How do you keep people invested in your books? Keeping sales up, of course. Uh, that's a, like, I mean, that's the most difficult question of them all. Because, uh, I mean, I want to say that the answer is just making the best story you can. Uh, because that is the main thing that I, I try to do is work with incredibly talented people to try to help them tell the best stories they can. Um, unfortunately, that's not always enough. Um, sometimes you make a story that you think is great and it just doesn't find the audience. So there is like a dance that you have to do between, uh, you know, okay. So Jonathan, right? Jonathan Hickman uh, is a pretty big name in comics, right? So, I mean, if you remember when we first announced House of X, before anything was announced about what he was going to write, there was just an ad with his name. It was literally just an ad that said Jonathan Hickman. And and people were like, wow, what's he going to do? Because like him doing something is enough to make people go, what is it? Right? So when Jonathan is writing books, Jonathan's preferred method of like, previewing and teasing things is to do nothing or say nothing as much as possible to be like, no, don't preview anything. Don't tease anything. Don't show anything. Like we want people to go in cold and read the book and it's going to be amazing. And listen, when you can do that, it is amazing. It is the best because people can just be knocked off of their uh, feet. Um, I mean, I, I sometimes I will, if I hear that a horror movie is doing is really good, and I don't know anything about it. I'll be like, all right, I'll just go see it. I knew literally nothing about the movie X when I saw it in the theater. Literally nothing. And um, I loved it. It was great. I knew almost nothing about Barbarian when I went to see it. I just went, yeah, that's supposed to be good. Let me go that's see it. That's one of my favorite things. I love going to a movie blind. Yeah. Um, so it can be a great experience. But it's tricky because the way that the whole comic market works is not even just let's get people to read it. It's uh, uh, retailers need to order it in a certain amount and then they have to have readers pay off that. So it's not really, if you're not working with one of the, the top, possibly the top writer in the industry, or at least at the company or anyway, Jonathan, right? If you're not working like that, you, you really do. You need to give them something and you have to figure out what can we give about this story that makes people excited enough to to want to pay for it and buy it without feeling like they've already read the whole story. And that's that's a real tough thing. That's a real tough thing. I mean, some some writers I know like to write with that in mind, which is very helpful to kind of go, uh, I want this story to have two hooks, one that we can sell it on, and then one that will hook you after you've read it. So like the first issue of this has a big hook that we should tell everyone. Here's the hook that makes you want to read it in the first place. And then you read it and it, and the second hook drops at the end of the issue. And you're like, oh, now I have to keep reading. Um, and when you, when you can pull that off, that's by far the best. 
I wish, honestly, I wish I had, I knew more the answer. I wish I could tell you, well, the way you get sales is this, and I would do it. I would do it every time. <laughs> There's a lot of components to it, though. There's, you guys have created some ritual in recent years with the the gala and the X-Men vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the books, for the most, well, for, for large part, have taken this form of, you know, five-issue series, and you're waiting for the next announcement. There's a lot of time capsules, like the Storm and Magneto stuff that's planned. Uh, but then you've got the ongoings to balance it out. It's a pretty robust line, and there's a lot for everyone. If you look across the board, there's a lot of different types of stories. I certainly like to think so. It's important to me that there be uh, a breadth of story being told. I know that not everyone agrees, though, unfortunately. Like a criticism that I've heard of the line is that um, some people feel that the Krakoa stuff is too all-encompassing, and they they feel like it makes the books unapproachable that they that if they're not reading all of them they they can't read any of them and i i if someone says that to me i try to tell them no no like please just read the ones you want to read like that you you will be fine um you know if you just want to read about these characters that's fine don't read the other ones that it, it should work um we 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 try really hard to make that the case but I think the sense people, some people get the sense that that's not true, that, that like, yeah, that you need to be invested in the whole, uh, the whole line or else there's no, uh, or, or, or else you can't really, really come get, be part of it. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, again, so that's, a, that's a place where I'd like to combat that. And hopefully that's why you, that's another reason that you have to put in these, um, like markers, right. Uh, of here's a thing that denotes, uh, something different is happening. The Hellfire Gala is going to be a pretty big issue. I think that for the most part, if you have not been reading the X-Men line, you could have, because it's the past now, but you could have picked that up and gone, whoa, whoa, what is happening? And it will give you what you need to know and propel you in this new direction. Uh, and then you can follow it into any of the the things that spin out of it that you choose to follow. If you just want to read X-Men, you just read that one. If you want to read about, well, I'm, again, I'm not going to go into all the details, but if you want to, <laughs> you know what all the books are. If, if you're interested in what happens with Iceman, if you're interested in what happens with Gene, if you're interested in what happens with et cetera, et cetera, um, you can spin out into that. And uh, hopefully this will be a place where people can jump on and uh, we can, you know, get people back in who, who, who maybe stopped reading for a while or, or whatnot. I mean, I think that, um, let's chime in. Like, I, I mean, just as a fan, the fact that we know so little about follow it, follow it, I think that is, uh, good because I, I mean, watching just the fan discourse around it where it's doom and gloom, a lot of fear. They're afraid Krakow is going to end. And then suddenly Emma and Tony are getting married and now their attention is pivoted. It's like, wait, is it not all doing gloom? It's a wedding now. And it's just fun to kind of watch the fans respond to it. And it's, they're hooked. You know, they want to know like, well, what happens? And then we still don't know what happens at the gala. So I, I, I'm a fan who hates spoilers and I don't like to be spoiled. So I, I like the Hickman approach of don't tell me anything. Let me just buy the book. But, but then I will say, I, I, I do always have to mention that, uh, and I should, I should, I should probably know more about this because I've mentioned it many times without like actually knowing the, the like name of it or whatnot. I read at one point about a study that seemed to suggest that people like having things spoiled for them. That when it was a study about movie trailers and how 
you know, how people always are like, oh, they give away too much. But that like, generally speaking, people like that in that they go and see a movie knowing what it is they're going to see. Oh, I know. Yes, I know a lot of how this movie is going to go. And I probably know vaguely how it's going to end because I saw this trailer and then they go and they see it and it was the thing they wanted to see. And it was what they were expecting. And they go, yep, that was good. And I it satisfied the, the, the desire that I had in me for that thing. And then it delivered in the way that like, we only, obviously we only care about spoilers for stories, right? We don't care about, you don't want a spoiler for dinner, right? Like you want to know what you're going to have for dinner. You want to order the thing and get it. You don't want to generally, I mean, maybe sometimes you do. I don't know. It's not an experience I have where you go to a restaurant and go, just bring me something. And they're like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. Like, you go, no, I'm asking for this. I hope it tastes the way I think it will. And then it does. And then I'm happy. I hate when people like go to the last page wants to see how the book ends before it begins. <laughs> there's an interesting thing though, Jordan, as you're talking, there's a there's a level of sophistication to modern reading. I've been reading X-Men mm-hmm. books for 40 years. And we have we have series like Westworld or Game of Thrones, uh, or even The Walking Dead, where it challenges you to know the history and the continuity in a different type of way. There's a there's a complexity to, and a subtlety to the storytelling. But when it comes to comics, uh, we used to have to dig out the back issues. Now you can just read the the Wikipedia summaries. And there's podcasts that are doing constant reviews. So the history of the entire franchise is accessible in a way that never was there before. And so you can put Destiny on the page going, oh, I hate Rogue with Gambit without having to explain the entire history of who Destiny is and what her connection to Rogue is. I like that we are in that space where we can Google something when we need to know it, you know? But 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 the but the flip side of that, you're 100 percent right. The flip side of that is I, I do think that there is a a portion of the readership that accepts that as a fine way of just enjoying the stories in general, in the sense that how many uh, how many uh, reviews that are done are just retelling, right? How many, you know, again, YouTube videos, right? Do people put up where they just go through this issue? Here's what happens in this issue. And presumably the person watching that is someone who hasn't read it. Cause if they have, I mean, maybe they want their, their take on it. I don't know. All sorts of things. There's that. And then it's interesting that you mentioned game of Thrones, right? As one of those things, because game of Thrones, obviously, one of the most popular shows in the world at the time that it was airing, but also a show where half the viewers knew what was going to happen for most of the series. <laughs> That's true. I already knew up until the last season, the one everyone hates, by the way, <laughs> up until that season, I already knew what was going to happen. Um, and that's fascinating. That's fascinating that I, I loved that show and it did add something new to it because on, because that's the, that's the other thing about spoilers. If a spoiler actually ruins your story, it means your story sucks. Uh, it means it's not a good story and it's not well told at the very least, right? Because knowing what happens in the story, it, th- if something is good, there's more to it than that. There's, you know, everybody says getting there, right? It's a journey, not the destination, right? Um, knowing who's good. I mean, because here's the secret, right? The superheroes are going to win generally all the time. Like 99% of the time, the good guys are going to win. And yeah, that means 1% of the time, it's an actual surprise that they don't. But like, come on, generally speaking, you can go in knowing the good guys are going to win. We're going to be all right. And guess what? You're right. But the fight, how did they win? Why did they win? Why did they, why did they fight in the first place? All of that is what makes it fun and interesting. And 
hopefully as an editor at Marvel, right? I'm privy to a lot of stories before they come out, both in the comics and also some sometimes in the movies. Um and that doesn't make me go, then I guess I won't read those comics or watch those movies. It means I go, oh, I, I hope oh, that one's that one's going to be good. Let's see how they do it. And then the enjoyment is both in the story itself, but also in how the story is told and and the the skill of the story. Um, yeah, absolutely. Public service announcement to fans out there. Hey, I know we all want to like be on the pulse and share things, but like the day it drops <laughs> posting the last panel like come on you know you can no, you no. can express your excitement without ruining it completely the day it and drops those are the people with patience it's out uh, it's out there on monday <laughs> before right. the book comes out most of the time <laughs> Yeah, right before tough. I, I definitely had to like learn to just like let go and you know let God when it comes to that. It's like you know you see stuff. All right, cool. Just you can't really uh, get too frustrated by it, but it can be very frustrating. Right Honestly, I'm kind we... of interested. Sorry, I was I'm kind of interested in in like an experiment of being like uh, I'm going to spoil all the comics from now on. Like like to be like let's like if I what if I went out tomorrow and we were like here's what we're going to do for Fall of X. The the every Wednesday we're going to tell you how the next week's comics are going to end. <laughs> For every Wednesday we're just going to tell you what happens next week. Uh, and I'm interested. I'm interested to see will that actually change sales negatively? Maybe it, maybe positively. Who knows? I'm I don't know. I don't know. If the Marvel read... Twitter account is all over this already. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, so, okay, read... but. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Drew. No, I mean, I, so I get that complaint that, oh, Marvel spoils their stuff, but Marvel only does that when someone else is going to do it first, or if they already have most of the time. I mean, Mar because, you know, we want to be able to control the message. If if somebody has put up badly photographed images of a comic, we're like, well, do we want people going around the, the crappiest websites on the internet and looking at a bad photo of our comic and, and getting someone else's take on what we did? Or do we want to just go, all right, here's what it actually looks like. Here's what we want to say about it and go to us for it instead of them. So that makes sense to go. Yeah. That's why, unfortunately on days when a big thing is going to happen back when I was uh, working at a comic shop, I, I found out that Captain America died in Captain America, in Brubaker's Captain, Captain America, because this was a lot of years ago. <laughs> I found out because a newspaper called me at the comic book shop and was like, "Oh, I hear Captain America died. What? What are you?" And I'm like, "What? He? What? What happened? What?" <laughs> because yeah, these things these things get out there fast, and so it's going to get spoiled, unfortunately. If you go back and read Marvel comics in like the 1980s, there's a, mm -hmm. a column that appeared regularly called Mark's Remarks. And Mark mm -hmm. Grunwald is one of my ultimate heroes. And he explored in some of those, and you can find them online too, uh, what it takes to keep a book special. I remember one column he wrote about how the, the books from the 60s, with the exception of a few like Ant-Man, uh, were still kind of the legacy books that had the numbers that were going forever and ever, right? Fantastic Four and Avengers and X-Men climbed into the hundreds 
But books that were launched later didn't seem to have the same traction. You get books like Iron Fist or Power Man who kind of get relaunched every few years. There's an attempt to kind of reclaim them. Uh, you go into the 90s and get things like Darkhawk and Sleepwalker, right? Uh, with the X-Men books, it's a little different because the popularity is so expansive. Not always, but New Mutants and Excalibur and X-Factor have pretty strong staying power. And then things shifted. In the early 2000s, they started canceling the books and renumbering them. And then they started doing legacy numbering in the corners and things got kind of confusing. But we're used to it now because it's been 20 years since they're relaunching a book and there's a new number one every few years. There's a I was I was just uh, tabulating the newest volume of Punisher, which is Punisher volume 13, which is crazy, right? There's like there's so many different uh, variations of Captain Marvel and and Daredevil. Even the current X-Men book is what volume six, I think, of Adjective. X-Men. It was in 2012 when we canceled Uncanny X-Men for the first time. I was involved. I was involved until, in that. that. That's what I wanted to ask you. It went until issue 544 and then it relaunched under Karen Gillen with, I think, the Extermination Team in Volume 2. The, the book that's in the issue one is which is in the back of the, the the book we're talking about today yeah so that's where i wanted to start as we're transitioning what was the reason for the cancellation of uncanny x-men back in 2012 well it was exactly what you're what you're talking about i mean basically because what was the last issue of of i think it was 544 if i'm remembering well, right. then the answer is because issue one will sell better than issue 545 that's why um, and I, as an assistant editor in the office at the time, I knew it was the, it was the last of the, well, the continuing legacy numbers. It was the very last one to be rebooted. Amazing Spider-Man had long ago, uh, I think Amazing Spider-Man might've been the first of the really long running ones because that was back with, um, was that John Byrne and Howard Mackey or something? Right yeah, yeah. And then yeah. like Avengers Fantastic Four, it was all the Heroes Reborn stuff when they relaunched. In of the course. Oh, no, I forgot about those. Yeah, of uh, course. Of course. Um, so, I mean, so what else could have been? I mean, I, but the, except that when they came back, they just went back to their numbering, right? No, they started over with uh, volume three, number one. Did they really? Oh, mm -hmm. man. Okay. Well, then I'm, I, then never mind. So then was it? Wow, what else? And then Hulk probably at some point did, and I don't remember when it was. Uh, it was already rebooted by the time I got to Marvel because I was working on the Jeff Loeb Hulk, uh, which was started over with a one for sure. Um, anyway, yeah, X-Men was the last one. And I remember saying like, this is the last one. Nick Lowe, my boss, like, we can't do this. We have to keep it. Why are we doing this? And it was like, no, because again, it's the exact thing. We, it's hard to... It's hard to deny the reality of that fact. I will say, I won't say the book because I just don't want to right now, but I <laughs> came across, came up against this. There is a book that I worked on that I was very, it's not going to be that hard to figure out what it is, but I was really excited about the fact that we were going to do a actual old school traditional passing of the baton rather than a relaunch. One writing team was leaving, another writing team was coming on, and we weren't going to restart the numbering of the book. And I was like, yes, amazing. This is how it should be. This is how comics are meant to happen. And issue, the first issue of the new writer sold less than the issue, the last issue of the previous writer. And it was like, we blew it. We, we blew it. If we had relaunched this as a number one, it would have increased the sales by a lot, by a lot, because there would have been, there just is more interest in a number one. 
Um, and I'm guessing, we didn't I'm guessing New Mutants, but you do not have to answer that question. It wasn't New Mutants, no. <laughs> can, I, can I guess, was it Astonishing X-Men? No, it was not Astonishing X-Men. So my, uh, Rosenberg just talked about a similar story on his podcast. <laughs> oh, okay, that's that's interesting. But I mean, again, it's it's probably, here's the thing, it's probably not an uncommon story. If there was a non-relaunch uh, uh, writer change, like like direction change, writer change kind of situation on a book, there is a good chance that money was left on the table, as people like to say, um, that 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 it did not do as well as it would have if they had relaunched. Uh, like I, you refer to New Mutants makes sense, but that's a weird situation because of the way we were doing that book, and I sure. I don't regret that. Um, I, I, generally speaking, I think I think that went pretty well. Um, but no, this is a, this is a different book, and. Uh, yeah. Anyway. It's, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's why. Unfortunately, that's why. Uh, and I mean, e- although even in that situation, it was a it was a weird one because it was the same writer. It was Kieran. Kieran wrote the end of the previous volume and the beginning of this one. It was thematically a big departure because between the two volumes was schism, and um, after the outcome of schism being that the X Men, which had been all living on utopia and a united front became a divided one between uncanny x-men and wolverine and the x-men and so it was kind of to some extent also a promotional i don't want to say promotional gimmick but it it thematically it worked to go that's the end of that united x-men as you know it and now they are completely divided in uh, in their philosophy. So you can read now Uncanny X-Men for Cyclops's version of the X-Men, and you can read Wolverine and the X-Men for Wolverine's version of the X-Men, and they are in direct opposition. And I was really happy with that. Honestly, that was a really, I thought that was a great era. I yeah. thought both yeah. Kieran and Jason were kicking ass on those books. I just reread that volume of Uncanny X-Men. We did the Trial of Danger on my show, so I got to go ah. uh, reread her appearances, which was fun. Uh, I have I have a, a, a launching point for X-Men Season 1, but I want to ask really quickly, and I think I know the answer to this. There is not currently a book called Uncanny X-Men in the X-Men line. Why? That's true. Uh, well, so it, it, this is interesting, uh, because mostly because we were just trying to depart from what came before uh now obviously there have been books just called x-men before so it's not like we reinvented the wheel when we when we started uh after after hawks and pox but we um it was we had just done uncanny x-men uh for the the previous relaunch with speaking of rosenberg with rosenberg and brisson and uh and kelly thompson and we were like this is a different thing so let's go the other way we're just going to call it x-men uh Interestingly, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. And if you, if you again, if you're big in the handbook stuff, this will, this may drive you batty. And uh, here, here you go. Uh, as part of that, this is a this is a new era, and we're we're going to draw a line and go. This is new. Everything is new here. Um, we did things like we repurposed names, right? We used Marauders for something that it never meant before. And we, you know, we did that a, a few places. But one of the things was I went, we're not going to do the legacy numbers. And they would go, no, it's X-Force. So there's a legacy number. We went, no, we're not doing legacy numbers on this. These aren't, I, we don't want to say this is, this goes back to old X-Force. We want to say this is new X-Force. It's totally new. But on Jonathan Hickman's first issue of X-Men, 
I didn't notice that a legacy number was placed on it and a legacy number was placed on it. And not only that, but the legacy number that was placed on it was for Uncanny X-Men. So it saw print. So because it, I mean, if you had asked me, you're not doing legacy numbers, but for the record, what should we consider this a legacy of? I probably would have gone, well, it's called X-Men. We should put it with X-Men slash X-Men legacy slash X-Men. You know, it should be just X-Men. But it was put with Uncanny X-Men. And I guess I understand why, because it was the main X-Men book, which Uncanny X-Men typically was. Uh, but so anyway, the point is now it's, it is that. It, it saw print. It was on the cover. So this is now, even though it's not Uncanny X-Men, it is taking the spot of Uncanny X-Men. I hate legacy numbering. I think it's so baffling. I <laughs> would much rather it. just have a new volume of the series. It's so much easier. <laughs> I just I just pray for like the day that we get another 100-issue run of anything, and I know it will never yeah, happen. Don't, don't pray. It's not going to happen. So, <laughs> uh, Follow-up question. There is currently no X-Factor book, and why do you like to torture me like this, Jordan? Well, uh, so that's, I mean, that's a complicated question. Not, not why I hate you. Um, I, I like structure. That's not, I don't. That's a much longer uh, list, Arturo. I mean, the, the answer to that would just be because you're a reader of comics and that's my job. But, um, <laughs> like, what is X Factor to you? Right. I mean, what X Factor is, is a number of different things. How much time do you have? <laughs> um, I, you know, I'm a fan of many different X Factor eras, but. You know, just to go a little off topic, I was a big fan of uh, what Leah was doing, and oh, me that too. just me too. broke my heart. I was just like, give her like twenty five issues. She's doing a lot of stuff. I agree. I agree. I I loved that book. I'll, I'll also, uh, I mean, again, I'm also a huge proponent of Exterminators. I thought she kicked so much ass on Exterminators. Um, X Factor in general. Uh, is a very fun title. It, like we said, though, it's been a few different things. It was the mutant hunting team that was actually the real X Men. It was them not pretending to hunt mutants anymore and then doing stuff. It was the government team. It was then for many years, the um, the 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 PI team, of course, the Peter David team. And in between, and, there was that weird X Factor volume oh, two that no one remembers, the <laughs> FBI one. Yeah, I read that. I read that. I do remember I read that. that for the first time. It was interesting. And then we did all new X Factor, which was the corporate X Factor, which I really adored working on. My favorite thing about working on that was that I, in the credits of every issue of that book, I put the credits for, for the head of Serval. It's a, it has all of the credits, and then it goes for Serval Enterprises. You know, the CEO Harrison Snow, and like as though it were like a licensed comic of some sort where we had to credit the company as part of it. Um, that was fun. And then this new X Factor was, was was such a blast. Like, so absolutely. I um I I think that at some point we will see another X Factor. I've been wanting for a long time, here's a tease to a thing that may or may not ever exist. I have wanted for a long time to do a title uh called something to the effect of the unknowable X Factor or the unexpected X Factor, because using the actual term X Factor for what it actually means, as, as well as the team, like you could have it be the team, but also have it make sense as an X Factor, um, which I think is a, a fun thing. So maybe someday, maybe someday we'll get around to that. Delicious. Uh, I'm going to switch gears for us. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Uh, every few years, Marvel tries to reattach us to the early days of their characters. We've seen this historically happen where they do reprint titles like uh, Marvel Tales. There's the collections like Marvel Masterworks or Marvel Essentials. Uh, in the X-Men franchise, the X-Men Classic is a very fondly remembered one where they're reprinting things. But after the first volume was canceled, they literally were just reprinting the old issues in the main title with the numbers uh, for a period of time as well. In more modern years, we get books like Professor Xavier. Xavier in the X-Men, which is retellings of the old stories, or we get relaunches of the series, which is like versions of the original five, but in another universe because it doesn't quite fit, like X-Men First Class or X-Men Children of the Atom. Uh, then we have X-Men Season 1. And like I said, this is a book that eluded me. I didn't know it had ever come out. I just somehow missed it. And so I've read it only recently. But it seems to be another parallel universe retelling uh, during a series of Season 1 books. So Avengers and Ant-Man and Doctor Strange and Daredevil and Hulk and all these other books had a Season 1. They ran for one issue only, and it's well over 100 pages. Uh, so let me begin with that it's question. A, it's interesting you refer to it as an issue. <laughs> 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 one big old giant it's an ogn it's it's, a, it's an original graphic novel but yeah sure, sure. sure. One uh, issue. So, <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about the origins of this book jordan if you will yeah well like you said it was it was the uh it was a line it was a line-wide initiative let's let's do a line of beautiful hardcover ogns kind of going into uh you know the the early days of all sorts of heroes now I will say, well, first of all, let me let me start by saying this book was not started by me. It was started by Alejandro Arbona, uh, who's also credited as editor on this. Uh, he left Marvel during the the making of it. I think in my memory, it was relatively early on, like a, like some like a even though this is a one issue, as you said, it's it's actually like the length of like five issues, right? Yeah, yeah. So so I think for the most part, we sort of made it as issues. We kind of made it in issue chunks i'm pretty sure if you go through i don't remember if this was this was we were already on 20 page issues i think by then so i think if you like go 20 pages it's like oh that's that is kind of a clean breaking point and then go another 20 page and be like oh yeah that could be an issue because we did kind of make them going we're going to release them all at once but let's still structure them like like they're five issues so that if we wanted to we could print them or or whatnot um but but so he was so 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 a few of them at least were written by then, um, and they were still being drawn when I came on as editor, uh, and I'm thrilled to have done so. I I also edited the uh, Wolverine one, and uh, very briefly I'll just mention well for both of them the development was we we were brought this task. Here's what we want to do. We want to do this line of OGNs. We want them to be the early days, and the idea was. And if you've read this, I, I I like to think that it comes through pretty clearly in this. The idea was do a modern version of the early stuff. Now, different editors seem to have interpreted the task a little differently than others. In my mind, 
when I was doing both the Wolverine, I mean, Wolverine one, again, I was from day one. This one, I came in a little bit later, but I still think it does this. On both of them, I took it as we're not trying to make another universe. We're trying to go, yeah, yeah, this is Earth 616. This is just a modern version of it. And basically, it fits. Like, basically, it fits. Uh, some of the other ones are really blatantly don't come close. Uh, I mean, like, listen, I know you've done a podcast where you go into every issue of X-Men and you are just ready to tell me all the places where this contradicts. No, no, no. Well, in some ways I want you to, but at the same time, like, I feel like for the most part, it's not like, it's not like things like, why is Polaris on the team before Iceman is like, it's like, no, generally speaking, it fits, it fits it. But whereas some of the other ones, it was like significant parts of their origin have like really changed. And it was like, oh, that can't be it. I'll take that really quickly. It does fit into the original continuity. The three uh, primary differences from the original books and this retelling, number one, the technology in the danger room specifically is vastly different than what it was in the original books. Number two, the costumes are different. And number three, the characters have a mastery of their powers that just was not present until Claremont took over the books later. Well, that's for darn tootin. Jean is the helicarrier on the first page and she could like barely turn a page in a book. (laughs) The... the, 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 I mean, that's the thing is that when I went back and reread all of the uh, original, that's, I, that's, I think that's just a just I think that's just a aircraft carrier. I don't think it's a helicarrier. <laughs> Not that that's a huge difference, but anyway, um, I, I mean, w- one of the things that shocked me, and I, we talked about this when I came on to talk about the issues that I talked about with you, um, was how terrible the x-men are at everything like they 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 fail at everything and do an awful job all the time and in this they don't which feels nice now part of that's because we don't always see the end of every adventure like sometimes we stop at a point at where something good happens for them and go good 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 the other stuff happens don't worry about it um but still i i think that is effective i having read relatively recently all of the original actual run and then just rereading this one today i I love this more than ever because I really am like, if somebody wants to read the original X-Men, I would be thrilled to give them this and say, don't read the comics. Don't read the original comics. Read this because it reads like a modern comic. You'll get to know all the characters for the most part. You'll see some of the flavor of what they are like in general. And, and it's not, bad like, it's a like good some read. Of yeah. the old and, and Jean Grey's an actual <laughs> three-dimensional character with yep. agency and it's it's a, a big step up absolutely so let me do a quick recap of this book and I'm just rather than going page by page like we often do on my show I'm just going to do a quick summary and then mm-hmm. let's talk about it so X-Men season one original graphic novel came out in March of 2012 the writer is Dennis Hallam often known as Dennis Hopeless uh, the penciler is Jamie McKelvey it's beautiful artwork in this uh, Mike Norton on inks Matthew Wilson on colors and uh, Clayton Cowles on letters and the cover of this book which runs well over 100 pages it's a gorgeous shot of the five original X-Men with Jean Grey at the center each of them using their powers in front of a blue and gold X backdrop. 
The book jumps back and forth between events taking place in the present and the recent past. Uh, Jean Grey gets the leading role for a good portion of the book, which is an unexpected but nice change. She isn't the pleasant, quiet character that was, she was in the early 60s. She's a very opinionated teenager who has full command of her telekinetic powers. As the book opens, we see her halting missiles in their tracks, moving airplanes through the air, and even lifting an aircraft carrier. We flash back to Jean arriving at the school three weeks beforehand while she yells at her mom on the phone. Mrs. Grey just doesn't understand what it means to be a mutant. Inside the school, Cyclops, looking very fit in a streamlined blue and gold uniform, crashes right into Jean and his glasses go flying off. Jean thinks he is so cute, but so serious. And then she meets Warren Worthington III, whose wings are strapped down under his costume at first, and he seems very into Jean. The book jumps back for back and forth a little bit, but I'm going to stay with the flashbacks just for the sake of brevity. Uh, when we go into the flashback spaces, Professor X is guiding Cyclops through a failure and a danger room exercise and giving him an extraordinary amount of compassion and understanding that you don't often see from Professor X, particularly in the 60s, because he knows Cyclops gets anxiety and pushes himself to be perfect all the time. Xavier challenges Cyclops to let go and be the leader he was always meant to be. Angel opens up about how Xavier used his telepathy on his parents when he first joined the school. We meet the bulky, bouncy, brilliant McCoy, the Beast. We meet the ridiculous and obnoxious Joker, Bobby Drake, the Iceman, who's literally generated an ice cube diaper around himself before realizing <laughs> that there's a new girl student that he needs to now impress. Uh, by the way, Iceman is coming out in the main comics right around this time, which is fun. And then the team. Oh, it was it was a little bit. It was it, this was before that for sure. A little, just a little bit. <laughs> well, the sub subtext still made it into this for sure. <laughs> At least I picked up on it. I think uh, it works. Yeah. The team starts to train together. Angel lets his wings out. Xavier tells the team that the world is going to harshly test mutants in the coming years. Okay, now we uh, switch back to Cape Citadel Naval Base, where Magneto has built a big metal fortress around himself. But he soon confronts the teenagers directly, using his powers in pretty cool ways, but he flies away with a big battleship. And Gene's like, I wonder if a teenage mutant army might be a bad idea. And we go back to the school where the mutants are just being teenagers. Angel had to end a date when she wanted him to go swimming because she can't know about his wings. Gene asks Warren out to a carnival and he brings Hank and Bobby along and Gene pulls Scott out of the danger room where he's been fighting a robot dragon. And they head to the carnival and some of the kids open up about when their powers first manifested. They see a handful of mutants performing in the carnival freak show, including Billy, who is a girl with a gray hammerhead kind of move, and Ginny, a girl with tiger stripes who later goes out with the angel briefly. Some bigoted humans pick a fight, and one of them pulls out a gun, and so the quote-unquote freaks call out the blob who knocks down the humans and the X-Men alike until Xavier erases his mind, literally making the blob drool, and then Magneto recruited the blob to the Brotherhood. A few weeks go by, the X-Men have a big mission in the Savage Land. They've been tied up and they have to fight a T-Rex and Gene kisses Scott for the first time. Later, Professor X pulls Gene aside to ask about her feelings for Warren and Scott. And it feels a little inappropriate, which matches 60s Xavier very nicely. Iceman invites Beast to go into the city for sausage. No joke, because he's seen where the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants live. And uh, the Brotherhood here is Magneto, Blob, Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, and Toad. The Beast goes to investigate, and he sees Xavier in there talking to Magneto. Oh no, Xavier is a liar. Uh, so he and Bobby rescue a kid, but some civilians turn on them because they are mutants, and Beast quits the team. Iceman and Cyclops fight zombie Nazis in the danger room. Professor X and Jean play telekinetic chess. Beast comes back for his laptop, and Xavier yells at him for quitting, calling him a failure. Jean confesses that she used to have a crush on Warren, and so he kisses her, and Scott saw, and now she is pissed. So there's the soap opera you've been needing. 
Uh, the team fights Eunice the Untouchable, and he's just kicking their asses until Beast returns with his gun that makes Eunice's powers go wonky. Uh, by the way, if this is continuity, this is right in the era where all the original X-Men time traveled to the future. So there's that. <laughs> yes, which which also doesn't 100% work either, but it works as well as it works. So there you go. Uh, Cyclops pushes himself too hard in the danger room, fighting Sentinels in a dystopian future. Then Magneto attacks the school and savagely binds Xavier up in wire while putting his helmet on Xavier's head to block his powers. And these are my favorite visuals in the book. It's really stunning. Mm. Then Magneto captures the five mutant X-Men pretty easily, though Iceman does trap him in some ice for a minute after hitting him in the head with a snowball. Jean and Scott make up, but only because she is very forward with her feelings about him. Uh, the original X-Men agree to work as a team, and they prepare to battle Magneto. And that's where the story ends. Jean gets the closing speech. This is the only one I'll read. She says, guys, this is going to sound dumb, but I think we got this. Magneto wants us to believe that this is the fight of our lives and that we're, we've already lost. But Big Purple's been here all day and we've taken everything he's got. This isn't the fight of our lives. This is the fight of right now. There's going to be another one tomorrow and probably the day after that. But this is Xavier's school. We've been taught how to fight. We're X-Men. And in her thoughts, the closing panels of the book, she says, so I'm a mutant. I'm an X-Man, and my life's never going to be exactly normal. But I got to say, punching bad guys in the teeth and changing the world beats the hell out of calculus. And then instead of the end, it says the beginning. It's a yeah. really good book. So there's a quick summary. Let me ask Chris and Arturo, have you had you read this book before? Is this a book for you're familiar with? What do you love about it? Let's begin there. Yeah, I, uh, I, I bought it when it came out, and uh, I got it right here. And I loved it. I love the art. Art's so good. It's so clean. Uh, it's my favorite kind of art style, this kind of style. Um, and then, yeah, I just love, I, I'm a big fan of the original X-Men. So, like, the fact that it could flesh out those characters and, and like, Arturo was saying, like, actually give Gene a character and, and just round them out was great. And then Scott and Gene are my favorite X-Men. So the chance that, especially that final scene always resonated with me, um, kind of bringing Scott out of his shell and, and encouraging him to be a good leader. So I really loved it. Um and yeah yeah there i wish there was a sequel there was never a sequel jordan what what happened <laughs> yeah <laughs> i do <laughs> I, I i'm i'm sad to say i missed this when it came out so this was a delight you know when well, chad when you reached out and you said season one i'm like i'm sure i've read that i think i've read a lot of stuff but then when i saw what it was i'm like no this is this is fresh and uh and i i really enjoyed this um in a little in a way it and not in as dramatic of a way, but it kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, like Ultimate X-Men, where it's kind of a reimagined. This was a lot closer to 616 continuity, but it was it just felt like this fresh, updated, modern take for for a young reader. Right. Like this would be a great X-Men book to give my nephew and say, here, check this out. Here's the X-Men. Uh, rather than introducing them to X-Men when they were like four th watching the Apocalypse uh, Fox movies. Um, but anyways, um, it also kind of reminded me of uh, X-Men Evolution in a way, hmm. you know, like taking it back and and just uh, the the Wanda of it all, seeing her kind of giving that, you know, goth Ren Fair vibe. Um, it was cool. It was just like a cool refresh of uh, familiar turf. I think the thing that was most surprising for me in reading this is how much it focused on the five students as teenagers. It didn't tell the Magneto concentration camp backstory. It didn't try 
to elucidate the mutant problem in big giant ways. It was just these five kids and kind of their journey and their drama, which was really effective. And when you go back to 2002 and the types of stories, excuse me, 2012 and the types of stories that were being told then to see kind of a teenage drama uh, in that way was really fun for me. It surprised me. And I had to read it a couple of times before I realized like, oh, that's this is the feel. Like this is very much a, a teenage high school uh, drama in its presentation, which was which is really interesting as the juxtaposition of the extermination team issue reprint, which follows. Yeah. Uh, Jordan, what was your thoughts on revisiting this book? Yeah, I, I mean, I, the reason I love it so much is that I feel like it's such a good, a good, accessible and just it, it again, it really encapsulates what the X-Men was like, but in light with the the foreknowledge of what the X-Men actually is. What I mean, one of the things that's very interesting about reading the old X-Men issues, although again, not necessarily good, but interesting, is watching them struggle to figure out what the book is and fail to figure out what the book is. Like they that they're that it's constantly trying to reinvent itself, going, okay, now they're this. Oh, that didn't work. Now they're this. Um this is made with the 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 knowledge of what actually ends up working in X-Men uh and what X-Men became what X-Men had to change in order to become. And it kind of goes in and is true to what came before, but while bringing some of that to it. Uh going this, you know, it it, it I mean it doesn't read like Claremont really, but it reads like something that is more of a type than with Claremont than any of the original books does really. It reads almost like early new mutants, like uh, yeah. the, the very teenage kids in the school together. Right. Right. Which is not a thing we got in the sixties much. No. And, and, and I mean, it's honestly, this is one of the like weird paradoxes of the X-Men is that so much of what X-Men is, is still founded in those first, whatever it was, 60, whatever issues. Right. Um, even though <laughs> I'm sorry, I keep saying this. I know so many people probably really love them, but they aren't very good. Not so like, bad. if you're, if someone, <laughs> okay. if someone wants to know about the X-Men, like you would never tell them, well, here's what you do. Start with issue one and go. No one would ever do that. Like you might say to them, start with giant size. You might say that if you, if you, if they have a lot of time, if they have a lot of time, but you would never say, go back to one because it'll be a slog go you need to but it's still very foundational like so much of what comes later still refers back to that they were this college or the college that they were this school that they that they all did start that these are the original five x-men um it makes it very much that like you you look at what fox did with the x-men right and they jumbled up all the characters and they made all the ages different but it's because they certainly couldn't have done what we did in the comics because it didn't work. It didn't work for many years. So we wouldn't want to reproduce that. This, uh, what I love about this is this is them going, that's all true, but can we make it read like X-Men? And I think he did it. I think Dennis did it. And I think Jamie drew, as you mentioned, beautiful art with, with Mike helping him out. Um, so, so yeah, like if somebody said to me, I want to read some original X-Men, I probably would recommend this one to them. I mean, you mentioned X-Men First Class. X-Men First Class was also amazing. Yeah. And it's been a very long time since I read that, so I don't remember it that well. I know 
uh, I do know that much like this, we were trying to, as we like to say, dance between the raindrops. We were trying to go, this, this, can we do this in a way that doesn't contradict it, but still is new stories and is not literally just retellings of, of every, of every book. Um, and I know that, I know that at the time I remember there being a lot of talk about, but the, the, the costumes don't fit. The costumes are different, so it's clearly a different universe. And I was always like, "Come on, it's fine." Same with this. Like these aren't there; these aren't the original costumes. Well, it's like, no, but they're they're similar. They're it's basically the same. And and she's talking on a cell phone at the beginning because it's sliding time scale. So that's fine. Um, I mean, I know that when we did Uncanny X Men, uh, first class, we 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 were very deliberate. Like it was it was. I'm trying to remember the names of it. Like, but it was like literally like, okay, this goes like right parallel to that issue, like as closely as we could. Um, and br briefly, I know that's not what we're talking about, but the Wolverine one, I, since I did Wolverine season one, uh, that one was a bit of a dilemma too, because I was sitting there going, okay, Wolverine season one, two of the like, biggest and most popular still Wolverine stories of all time that you can walk into a store and buy right now are origin. That is his like earliest, earliest years and weapon X, which is like his like kind of formative time. And so I was like, I can't do either of those. It would be stupid to just try to do those over There's You could still buy them right now. And so what we ended up doing was we said, well, let's do Wolverine season one is when he puts on the superhero costume and becomes Wolverine. It's so it's uh, it starts with him uh, naked running with wolves and being found with the Hudsons. And it ends with him joining uncanny X-Men uh, joining giant size X-Men. Uh, and, and it shows it encompasses the Hulk appearance uh, and starting out with the whiskers and hanging out with the Hudsons for a bunch of time. It was, uh, I, I love that book too. That was, that one was written by Ben Acker and Ben Blacker. And that was drawn by Salva Espen. And it was super fun. I love that book too. I, uh, I, I will vow to cover that on my show one day, but it'll take a minute to get there. When we, it, it, it does, it does slightly contradict with the X-Men. What was it? X-Men legends arc that just got done. Yeah, because explain the whiskers. Because it revisits the same era. And when Mark Basso, the editor of that series, came to me and said, we want to do this, and here's what we're doing. I was like, well, so like, here's the thing. I already did that story, but like, not a lot of people read it. And I'm super proud of it. But it's sort of that, it's, it's sort of an inherent problem in this, this thing that we do where we revisit old stories, right? How much, how much do you honor the revisiting if it means you can't revisit it again. And, and again, like if, if Wolverine season one was like now considered an important step in, in Wolverine's history and everybody puts it in their Wolverine libraries, then I would be a different story. But unfortunately, as much as I love it and very much recommend it, I totally think you should check it out. Um, it, it, like this, unfortunately, you asked why we didn't do a sequel. Two out of three big X-Men fans on this call didn't know it existed <laughs> at the time and unfortunately the sales of the, i think of all of season one kind of reflected that I, I don't think they did as well as we had, had hoped they would do see we um, needed to hype it as being wolverine's first thruple and focusing <laughs> on the hudson's and, uh, james. their summer it, of love 
It's in there. She like teaches him how to use a fork. It's very fun. Um, <laughs> Tarzan, you Jane. Cute. Uh, my favorite part of this book is Jamie McKelvey's pencils. And I love Jamie McKelvey. I associate him so strongly with the Young Avengers series, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. I love so very much. Uh, uh, Chris, if you had to choose a favorite couple of moments from this book, what are the things that really stand out to you? Oh, uh, well, I already covered the Scott and Jean in the dark at the end there. That was mm-hmm. great. Uh, what else? Yeah, the like you said, the Magneto Xavier confrontation at the end when Magneto uh, Xavier's tied up. And let me see. But, sorry, think. also putting in the Xavier the Magneto helmet thing, which was not a thing uh, at all in the old days. Which as someone pointed out to me, I think it was Tom Brevoort, that that comes from the movie. Right. I was like, oh, that came. And he was like, yeah, no, before that, it was that was Juggernaut's thing. And I was like, well, yeah, yeah, I knew it was Juggernaut. Yeah, what we're thing, what but- <laughs> we're referring to, and I did talk to Tom about this, is uh, Magneto's having like anti telepathy thing was a, a movie thing that they added into the comics later. Yeah, yep. uh, but go ahead, Chris. Oh, I'll say the 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 T Rex uh, Cyclops shooting the T Rex, and I do remember when I read this, I was one of those fans who was like, wait, did that happen? Because it's it's like a drawn out major moment, and uh, I went back and looked, and it wasn't. Well, maybe it's one panel, but it wasn't this whole epic scene. But those are my three favorite moments. But the whole thing's great. Arthur, how about you? I'm a sucker for villains, so I just went goo-goo anytime uh, a villain appears in it. Blob, Eunice, again, is the second time I'm going to just say Eunice look. Eunice, I don't think, has ever looked hotter than he does <laughs> in this. Um, just beautiful. And yeah, the Magneto scene with Xavier was great. It kind of was reminiscent of uh of like morrison xavier zorn that kind of like taking over the school it had that kind of gravity to it again going to your point of making this read like an x-men you know i i think that was a cool trick that it kind of without without retelling anything it just had these like little echoes of other X-Men stories. Um, when uh, when Brian Michael Bendis did the time travel all new X-Men story, he gave Jean like a very strong rebellious streak and she's using her powers very unethically. This version of Jean gave me that kind of energy, which I love for her. I like seeing that uh, willfulness in her because she just doesn't get a lot of that until, you know, Claremont, of course, gives her a ton uh, of love later. But uh, it's really fun seeing this version of Teenage Jean uh, being more willful. I also really enjoyed the compassionate interchange between Xavier and Cyclops, which is, again, not a thing you saw a lot back then. But, you know, hey, I know you're trying to be perfect. I know you have anxiety. Just let go. You're a leader. You've got this. Uh, you know, mixed by Xavier wiping Blob's mind and leaving him drooling. So you, you get both versions of the character there. Uh, this is a good read. Jordan, did you have any favorite moments? Uh, I, I I love the whole carnival sequence. Um, super fun. Uh, like, because like, as you mentioned, it's fun just watching them be teens, but then get caught up in just the anti-mutant hatred and, and kind of getting into it. Uh, having to having to get into a fight and then blob telling them off because he's like this is how we make our money like yeah yeah they are insulting us but they're paying for the privilege and now we're not going to eat um when beast does decide to quit the team in the original run this is actually one of my favorite 60s scenes there is that scene where they try to save the kid and then people start throwing bricks at him like hey mutant mm-hmm. Uh, and I liked that they included that here because the oppression that they're facing just by existing uh, was was a key piece in that scene where he decides to quit. And then he becomes a costumed wrestler named the Beast right afterward. <laughs> I do remember that. <laughs> I, I, I got one addition to uh, the list of great things about this. Cyclops enjoying soup and eating cereal. Just there's like a 
like just a a, a panel a page and yep. jean just says like how it it makes him look sad it, yeah it like breaks her heart to watch him eating things out of a bowl and it just it just that that's also just ice, that, ice man's ice diaper is also transcended it's amazing oh diaper, yeah because i mean i don't know am i alone in assuming he he's naked right <laughs> like he's okay naked in an ice cube yeah yeah i always imagine tidy whities but they're in that yes the ice cube naked <laughs> Go back to the um, very first episode of my podcast when we're like, he looks like a lumpy snowman. Is he naked under there or not? <laughs> um, I love, as far as Iceman goes, though, I also love the scene of of him joining up with Cyclops in the training where Cyclops is like, no, the point is like that the fake versions of you will do whatever I say. And he's like, that's what I need right now. Like, I'm, I will do whatever you say. Just let me be on in your training sessions. I thought that was really great. I, and it's interesting because so so you mentioned Iceman coming out and you, you I'm, I'm glad to hear that you say if you felt like it was reflected in here a little bit, because I'll tell you, we had no idea at the time that that was going to happen. Like that was it. This was early enough. Unless I'm screwing up the timing all really badly. I don't think we had any idea that was happening uh, in Brian's run at the point when we put this out. So I was like very nervous about that, that that would be something that would stick out as like, cause he certainly does talk about uh, how much he loves ladies in this, but, but then reading it, it was like maybe a little too much actually. Right. Yeah. He's talking <laughs> about that, but his eyes are like looking at these big, sexy human feet. Yeah. It's uh, it's like that. I know I'm, a lot. I know a lot of gay guys who are like, yeah, no dude, I'm so straight. Like look how hot that girl is. <laughs> like there's a lot of that like high school energy here. This is a good book. It's a good read. And it's been a delight to visit this. Everyone go read it. It's uh, see how it compares. Uh, if for no other reason than for Jamie McKel- McKelvey's beautiful artwork, but it's a solidly good read uh, with some really fun characterization in it. I think though, let me see. I think it has a new name now. Uh, the the more recent collected editions. Let me see if I can find it. While Jordan is looking at that, I just wanted to commend uh, Chris very quickly on the great work you're doing on uh, on X-Men Monday. Chris and I had a chance to chat just before the show. And I was like, one thing you and I have in common is we both really work hard to, I, well, I, I, at least I see this as a kindred thing, making sure our, our guests or the people we're interviewing have good experiences and finding positive things. And like avoiding the toxicity of of some of the fandom that's out there, but you're doing a, a just a great job, solid work every week. I really look forward to it uh, every Monday. So just great work, Chris. It's it's really nice to have you on today. Well, thank you. Yeah, and I mean, I bug Jordan at least once a week. So I think <laughs> Jordan, there's an email waiting in your inbox for tomorrow for me. <laughs> Excellent. So credit to Jordan as well. <laughs> yeah. And- um- uh, yeah, go ahead, Jordan. Oh, I was just going to say I found it. Uh, so, yeah, the hardcover edition is X-Men Season 1, but I believe the soft cover is called X-Men Uncanny Origins. Um, I, I I searched for it by by looking up Hopeless McKelvey uh, X-Men, and uh, yeah, that also comes up. It's the exact same. It looks like it's got... It even has the same uh, X-Men Uncanny X-Men number one reprinted in the back of it, apparently, because it's, it also credits Kieran. Not uh, to be confused with the late 90s series, also called Uncanny Origins. We just did an issue of that with uh, Annie Nascenti on my show. Oh, interesting. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, okay, this has been a delight. I'll keep us on time. We did a good job. Uh, I'm so excited for the Hellfire Gala. I'm so excited for everything that's coming out in the few, next few months. Uh, Jordan, it's just a huge honor always to have you on. And thank you for taking the time. You're doing just incredible work with this franchise. And I'm, a, I'm an enormous fan, but I'm, a, I'm thrilled to have spent this time with you tonight. And Arturo, oh. you're so delightful to co-host with every time. So just uh, thank you all for being here. Uh, as we are wrapping up, uh, where can people find each of you online? And is there anything you would like to plug? Uh, let's go in reverse order. So we'll go Chris, Arturo, and then Jordan. Sure. Yeah. So uh, you can read X-Men Monday uh, every Monday at AAPT. Um, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Chris A. Hassan. And then I just got onto Blue Sky and I'm it's a lot quieter than Twitter. So I'm there if you're also on Blue Sky. <laughs> so you can try that out. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, social media is real weird right now in the war of the billionaires. Who, who knows what's happening? And you're on Threads or Blue Sky or the, we'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, Arturo. Um, it's been a delight. Thank you guys. I'm humbled to be here. I'm just a, a lowly fan. So yeah, uh, you know, just to echo what Chad said, uh, Chris, you, you're really doing great work and Jordan, thank you for being so accessible and, and just sharing stuff with the fandom for better or worse, uh, no matter how, how we react to things. It's, uh, it is really cool that it feels like you guys are so engaged. Um, and I have nothing to plug. Um, I'm Mr. Toybox on Twitter and Instagram. And yeah, ditto on social media is a burning trash fire right now. So, <laughs> and then, uh, and then Jordan. Yeah. I mean, like you said, I'm not on Twitter anymore. Um, I'm on some other stuff, but honestly, I'm not going to promote it because, like, whatever. Mostly I put up like pictures of my son and stuff like that. I don't talk that much about comic books anymore on, on social media, but that's fine. Uh, He's what, a really cute kid. <laughs> he is. Thank you. Thank you. Um, what I can say, though, is I, I also have a podcast I'm working on uh, called Nature Trail to Hell. It's a horror podcast in which I, uh, who love horror movies, show them to my, my good friend, Stefan, who has not seen these horror movies, for the most part, that we were watching. Uh, so we did a season one where we watched all the Friday the 13th movies and then a couple of bonus movies. We did season two where we watched all of the Texas Chainsaw movies and a couple of bonus movies. And... Hopefully, by the time this comes out, uh, season three will have started. We've we've watched all of the Purge films, which I I do like, and a couple of bonus movies for that as well. Um, and it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I mean, speaking of people just talking through, we we literally do talk through the entire movies plot point by plot point or at least as much as we can remember them uh and and do lots of ridiculous commentary on them and uh it's a it's a really good time i love horror movies and i love uh chatting with with stefan about them so for for a moment i thought i thought you were gonna say that uh you watch horror movies the whole pot is about you watching horror movies with your son which oh. would have been which would have been a whole other <laughs> someday someday i'll do that podcast uh who knows jordan who knows? i'll have to have you on sometime with uh rowan from the it slays podcast i've had him oh. on a few times and he he has the best horror voice ever uh he, <laughs> rowan i apologize if you're listening he, he's like i i love going outside and looking at the stars in my yard like he has the best i love him so much <laughs> he's a great guy uh if you recall jordan i do uh monthly cringe nights at my house where we watch terrible movies oh yeah 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 uh we, we just talked did, about uh, that. we just did the movie mannequin for july from like the mid 80s it was the, the like rom 
You no, know, no, like uh, like Kim Cattrall plays a mannequin. Yeah, that, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was delightful, and we're uh, we're doing a roller derby next month, or roller boogie from the seventies. Uh, but we do a horror film every once in a while. I'll keep you posted. We, we I think. What was the one that we was it? Texas Chainsaw: The Next Generation that you that you had just done. You and I. No, we had we talked about uh, Thanks Killing and Velocipaster. I think last time I had you on. Okay. Okay. <laughs> From yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And the Leprechaun. We also watched Leprechaun oh. on St. Patrick's Day. Again, a movie that a movie series that blows me away because none of them are good. <laughs> the first one is not good. Why did they make a second one and then a third one and a fourth one? But there you go. <laughs> it's uh, it's amazing. Uh, finally, I keep my own social media private because I've got kiddos, but the three of you are welcome to add me. But Graham Malkin Lane for now, you can find Graham Malkin PP like podcast on Twitter, Graham Malkin underscore Lane on Instagram. Feel free to say hi anytime. Uh, the next episode coming out immediately after this one on August 7th is going to jump back into the hidden years. We're covering X-Men, the hidden years, numbers 13 and 14 with the incredible combination of uh, three writers from different eras. We've got uh, Carl Ballers, Jason Liu, and Alex Segura on the show, and it's going to be just a genuinely uh, lovely time. The next Patreon episode immediately after this is going to feature the character Gossamer with the guys from Rage Gear Studios. Uh, and right after that, Jordan is returning, and Jordan, Anna Papard, and I are going to talk all about Gatecrasher. And I'm so excited uh, to record that episode in a few days. Uh, thank you, everybody. Uh, thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Arturo. Thank you, Chris. Uh, we will see you back here next time on Game of Thrones. Thank you for listening to Gray Malkin Lane. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. Gray Malkin Lane is produced and recorded in Salt Lake City, Utah, with music and editing done by my husband, Michael Bell, and promo art done by the incredible Seth Martell. Look for us on Patreon, where we are releasing weekly episodes about obscure characters and facts. Uh, it's a great way to participate with the podcast for only just a couple of dollars a month, and it helps support what we are doing here. Also, the best way you could help Graham Malkin Lane is by sharing and liking and subscribing, but also please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you back here next time on Graham Malkin Lane.